Welcome to the Marriage Adventure Podcast, where the journey is the destination. It's the highs, the lows, and everything in between. What's up, everybody? Thanks so much for joining us today on today's episode of the Marriage Adventure Podcast. We're your hosts, Daniel and Bonnie Hoover, and we try to address a wide variety of topics dealing with marriage on the podcast. And uh, one of the most contentious areas is relational conflict, and that has to do with finances. Yeah, they a say lot of sex times. and money, chicks and checks. Yeah. That's what causes the most arguments in marriage, and definitely finance causes a lot of contention in marriage. Wouldn't you agree, Bonnie? Yeah, well, yes. <laughs> But today we're spending some time with an expert in this field who can offer us a lot of wise counsel, and his name is Joe Sangle. And Joe is the founder of I Was Broke, But Now I'm Not. It's an organization that helps you gain clarity in your finances, get out of debt, and invest in your future. Joe is also the president and CEO of Enjoy Stewardship Solutions, co-founder of Fully Funded, and co-owner of MinistryDeal.com. He's the author of several books, including, including I Was Broke, Now I'm Not, um, Oxen, The Key to an Abundant Harvest, What Everyone Should Know About Money Before They Enter the Real World, and Funded and Free. But today we ha- are going to talk about his most recent book, and that's 2020 Money. So thank you, Joe, for being with us. Uh, you and your bride live in South Carolina, and you've got three children, and we're so glad that you're with us today. Thank you. It's such an honor. Thank you so much. Glad to be aboard. Uh, I really think you know, this topic is really important for marriages, for relationships in general. I think, you know, for parents with their kids, you know, it, it, it's it, money is spiritual and that spiritual stuff affects all relationships, business, colleagues, coworkers, friends. So I'm excited to talk about today. Thank you. Good stuff. All right. So before we dive into the book, we um uh, we love to hear stories about how great marriages get started. So we need to hear how did you and your wife Jen meet? Well, that's yeah. Everybody does love those stories, and our story started. Uh, I'm the youngest of six boys, but me and my identical twin were the first to go to college. Wow! And so I chose to go to Purdue University. We grew up just south of Indianapolis, Indiana, and. I applied to Purdue University because they had a free application. <laughs> I filled it out and seven days later, they had accepted me the schools of engineering. So that was the extent of my thought process for college. <laughs> and I started dating Sally May, my long-term relationship for student loans. And I went to <laughs> Purdue. And I, part of my application said, would you be interested in works, uh, you know, work study or something where you get, you get a job basically on campus to help pay for your college? And so I said, yes. So they, they decided to invite me to work to make breakfast, lunch, and dinner for 1,500 freshmen at Cary Quadrangle. And I had to show up three weeks early to be trained to do this. And so I showed up and, you know, a couple of weeks went by really fast and I'm tired and I'm cooking food. And they had a dance at, as a start, start of school dance or something. I don't know. And it was between two big giant high rise residence halls for girls. So all the 1500 guys kind of march on over there. And I'd never been to a dance in my life ever. I don't know how to dance. Still don't know how You're to the dance. You're the youngest of six boys. Why would you? I'm serious right now. I was just trying to survive as the youngest of six boys. And I danced to get out of being beat up, I guess. I'm the but youngest of four. Girl, I the- saw this girl. 
I saw this girl and I don't know how out of the thousands I saw her and I was like, that I need to go meet her. And so I go up to her and, and she's talking about, uh, you know, we start talking about life, you know, what do you do? Where are you from? And she had been there a little early too. And she was still 17 because she was one of those kids that was born in September, but uh -huh. back before they did cutoffs earlier. Mm -hmm. And so I found out that her favorite artists were Michael W. Smith, DC Talk, Stephen Curtis Chapman. And all of a sudden I realized next thing I knew it was 4 a.m. The mm -hmm. dance had ended four hours early. And we were still standing there talking and yeah. we became an item. We dated all through college and we got married uh, exactly one week after she graduated from Purdue. She went an extra year, fifth year. Wow. Wow. And so uh, that's how we met Purdue University, boiler up, hammer down. Oh, I <laughs> love great. it. I love that story. Man, yeah. that's so great. I'm the youngest of four boys. I don't know how Are you, you really? survived as the youngest of six. We're, we're well, just I thankful. had a twin brother to help me. Oh, yeah. There you go. Two of us. It's hard to fend off two at a time. <laughs> oh, man, no kidding. Man, I love that. I love that story. That's so fun. Mm -hmm. All right. So uh, we're going to let everybody get to know you a little better. So we have a little segment we like to do on the podcast called Lightning Round. Okay. So, um, so here's how this goes. So you've got two minutes to answer as many questions as you can. All right. And you can, you can answer them in depth. You don't have to hurry through them. You ready? All right, here we go. So in your book, I found out that you've run two marathons. Which two marathons were they? Is the Chevron Houston Marathon and the Rock and Roll one in San Diego. Mm. Very good. Which was your favorite? The Chevron Houston one because it was flat. Oh. <laughs> yes. Okay. It was cool. So has your wife read all of your books? Uh, she has read all of the books except for the one you're talking about. <laughs> she actually participated in the writing of it, so she didn't really necessarily read all of it. Okay. Oh, very mm -hmm. good, very good. Okay, so if you had a day totally to yourself, like no responsibilities, no leadership, all that, what would you do? Uh, it's going to involve going out for a run and then ending up on my farm hiking. Uh, I own a farm that has a lot of outcroppings of granite and rocks and hiking trails, and I love it. Oh, nice. that's amazing. I love it. Mm -hmm. During quarantine, did you get more done than you thought you would or less? Way less. I found out that all the stuff I said I would do when I got around to it is not because I didn't have time. It's because I just did not want to do it. <laughs> I'm ashamed to admit it. It's horrible. Yeah. Same, yep. same. Okay, so what's your favorite vacation you've you and Jen have ever taken? Uh, favorite vacation we've ever taken. Man, we have taken a lot of them. It's hard to separate them. We take a family vacation to Minnesota to a lake every summer wow. with our kids. It is the kids' favorite week. The fa favorite one without our kids, man, I'd have to say between Jamaica, Cancun, we've done both of those and they were both awesome. But I'm gonna say it as it comes to mind, our favorite one ever is cruises. Oh. We love cruises in the Caribbean without awesome. kids. Oh, very cool, very cool. If you had one last meal to eat on this earth, what would it be? Oh, it's going to be steak. It's going to be steak mm -hmm. with a lobster, with uh, snow crab, Dungeness crab, and sushi, oh. and no vegetables. Oh, man. That's a man meal right there. I yeah. love it. All right, what's one band or musician you'd love to hang out with? Uh, you know what? Uh, you know, <laughs> it's terrible. Uh, there's a, uh, a guy who he has curly hair. His name's David Phelps. He's in Southern gospel time of thing, 
but he studied in, in Nashville. He has an unbelievable voice. He's a cool dude, and his music is really, it just moves me. I love it a lot. Awesome. So David Phelps. I love that. Um, That's a non-traditional answer. I love that. Good stuff. That's fun. Well, today we are here with author, teacher, and business owner Joe Sangle. Joe, your latest book, 2020 Money, Gaining Clarity for Your Financial Future, came out right when everybody seemed to lose clarity because of COVID. What led you to write this book? Yeah, well, I, I really had been working through this book. Uh, I think anybody's written books, and I know you guys are working on writing books. You kind of have like five, six, seven ideas mm. that you feel pretty good about. And some of them you work on for a while and then you're like, man, I'm not feeling it. I don't know if this is the right time. So you set it aside. This is one I've been working on for a while, probably 10 years. And as we were approaching this thing of 2018-ish, that time frame, I had been traveling full bore. I'm talking speaking 100 plus times a year for over 10 years, many times getting to go back to churches or businesses where I speak regularly. And I had finally been fed up with the number of people who I'd met once a year for 10 years in a row who had made no progress. Mm -hmm. And they said, man, I'm so glad you're back again. We're going to reset again. And I, I, I kept asking, why is it that we can teach the tools, budgeting, debt freedom, investing, all the stuff that can help you tremendously financially, and yet people stay stuck? Mm. And I, I, I started exploring it over the last 10 years. And in 2018, I got serious about exploring it and putting data behind it. And I realized it's because people literally do not have a vision for their life. Mm-hmm. And as a result, they just wander. Wow. And so it started landing on me as cheesy as it is, and cheese still sells as far as I know, that I could launch this 2020 clear vision in the year 2020. So that's why I felt like, hey, now is the right time to really get serious about it. So I took all of 2019 to write it with the idea to release it in early 2020. Yeah. So coronavirus hits. Yes. What does that do for the book and the purpose of the (laughs) book? And have you seen any correlation there? Yeah, well, I mean, it definitely hurt sales of the book. Sales were very good in the first two months. And then it kind of set the break got set on it really because people were literally trying to survive their vision became to survive to figure out what COVID was to not get it and if they got it to survive it yeah and as we've seen that was a necessary thing for people to do and that's why i really was adamant that it would be 20 slash 20 like 2020 clear vision because i knew that this was kind of a timeless work that would last way beyond 2020. Mm. we could use 2020 as a year to help emphasize it but i wanted to be beyond it but i will say this for me it gave clarity uh to me that it was the right time to write it Mm -hmm. because a lot of people now suddenly had time on their hands Mm -hmm. and i feel like uh, maybe maybe other people agree with different numbers or different things but i feel like by about late mark or late may june most of us understood what covid was and what it was not Mm -hmm. that Praise the Lord, it was not taking our children. I mean, there's been unfortunately a couple of children, but we know by the vast majority, it's not affecting our children, which I think would cause us. I mean, I look at past plagues and man, it it took out kids. I cannot fathom that happening. Mm. Um, But all of a sudden I realized people were starting to re-engage, but they were re-engaging with life socially distant. Boat sales went crazy, RV sales went crazy. 
you couldn't find an ATV anywhere, anything that was outdoor, hiking, backpacking, tents. Everybody was together as families again. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people rediscovered, hey, there's a way more to life than just go to work every single day mm -hmm. and just chase the almighty dollar. Mm -hmm. And so on the backside of it, as we've reopened, as we've started traveling, speaking, doing more online events, we've seen people having a renewed fervor for discovering just what it is, what their call of God is on their life, and that they could live it and make their financial decisions line up with that instead of, I'm going to wait until I have money and then I'll figure out what to do with it. Sure. Instead, they're getting a purpose first and then ensuring that their money decisions line up with it. Yeah, that's, oh, that's, that is good. That's good. So you talk a lot about the fully funded life. Can you explain what that is? Yes. In, in summary, I, I'll say as a summary elevator speech, if somebody says, like you just said, Bonnie, what is a fully funded life? It is being able to do exactly what you've been put on earth to do, regardless of the cost or the income potential. Mm -hmm. So it's that thing that gives you life, that gives you purpose, gives you being, but it might be costly for some people. It might not be so costly for others. It might generate a lot of money for some others. It might not generate any at all, but I know this humans. We know when we're doing what we're made to do, what we're gifted by God to do. And uh, you know, some of those things don't produce a lot of income, but it doesn't matter if you manage your resources properly, you can still prosper with less. Mm -hmm. And so I just encourage people to say, what is that thing that you do that gives you life? It's not, doesn't mean it's easy. Doesn't mean you smile all day long, but for whatever reason, uh, I heard one person, an author say it this way, does that work feel heavy or does it feel light? Mm -hmm. And it doesn't, it's not saying, is it easy or hard? It's just saying for you, does it feel easy or does it feel light? Mm -hmm. Does it feel heavy? Does it feel hard? And, you know, for me, preparing a budget, preparing Excel spreadsheets, doing VLOOKUP functions, pivot tables. If you give me 2 million lines of data to analyze, I love it. I will plow through it. It's unbelievable. But if you gave it to my bride, she would say, that is horrible. That is hard. That is heavy. Yeah. I don't, I don't, even if I knew I'd do it, I don't want to do it. I agree with so your bride. <laughs> it's in that where you find your calling. Yeah. And I want people to be able to do it. Mm. And I found so many people who have a calling on their life, but because of financial decisions they made, debt decisions in particular, that has obligated their money, they simply cannot do it. Yeah. And, and they don't realize that, hey, there are a couple decisions away from saying no to debt paying off debt that they could go do their calling. And you know what? When people are in the middle of their calling, passion comes with it. And usually they become the top compensated people in that area simply because they're living out their calling. Yeah. yeah good. Oh, that is good. That is so good. That's a fully funded life. And it's different for some people. It's living at the end of a 20 mile road and they're the only house and it's a way out in the country and they have no power and they live on the, off the grid. And it costs them a total of $5,000 a year to operate life. Yeah. For others, it's on Miami beach, baby. Yeah. And it's $8 million entry ticket to just get started. But they're there to minister to those people. It turns out wealthy people, they really need Jesus. That's true. And, yeah. and so God plants people wherever he wants to plant them. And he, he puts that desire in our heart. It says Psalm 37, four, delight yourself in the Lord. He will give you the desires of your heart. Mm. And I, I've heard one writer say, uh, you know, delight yourself in the Lord and do whatever you want. I love you know that. why? Because you will only do the things that God has commanded you to do. It's awesome. Yeah. 
God, that's Sorry. so good. So, I mean, at the beginning of the book, you you talk about that, that most people get jazzed up. They get fired up and energized thinking about their dreams and their hopes. And then you come in with a question. Have you ever written them down? You got a plan? And it's crickets. Why? 50%. Really? 50%. Wow. Why is it so important for people to write those down? Well, as I share in the book, and as I just, I believe the core of my soul, there are many people that are listening to this podcast right now. They have a dream God gave them, but they're so scared of it. Mm. Scared of the, the knowledge they don't have, uh, the cost of it, the income, what it might do to their interruption of their daily life, that they've never written it down, nor told another human being. Mm. They may have told their dog, but swarm to secrecy <laughs> because they don't even have faith enough to believe that they could write it down. And I believe writing it down is your first act of faithful obedience to say, Lord, I'm going to trust you enough to write down these desires. Why? I don't know why they're in my heart, but I'm going to write this down. Because the moment you write them down, you will see them. And there's numerous studies that says if you write down a goal, it's far more likely to be accomplished than those that are unwritten. But also others might see it and they will ask you about it. And there's the potential that they would look at you and say, that's not possible for you. I know you. Your spouse might look at you and say, that's not possible. I know you. But it doesn't negate the fact that God gave you the dream. Mm. And so I encourage people to write it down because you'll find out quickly uh, that some of these dreams you write down immediately, you'll realize you've just been carrying somebody else's dream for you. Mm. And you'll realize it's not your dream at all. It's your parents' dream for you. I heard John Maxwell say it once. You know, that he, his parents dreamed that he would be an amazing concert pianist. And he remembered his first uh, piano concert, you know, and he's playing out of book A, and it was horrible. He said, and everybody in the room knew he was not going to be a concert pianist <laughs> except for two people, my parents. <laughs> because even I knew, because as soon as I got done, this little girl sat down and she was on book F and she destroyed the piano. Amazing. Mm -hmm. And I immediately knew this is not for me. And so it was his parents' dream for him and not his dream for him. And so I just encourage people to really seek God and say, what is it that your call is on my life? What are all these dreams? And write them down. And then you'll be able to do the sifting process of figuring out which ones are really your dreams. Wow. That is good. It's funny. We're, we I, I mentioned earlier, we got this little nine-year-old team our little son plays on travel team. So I'm doing goal setting with them. We were terrible last year. Like we came in. I don't know. We, we didn't come close to winning anything. And so I asked him this year, what's your BHAG? What's your big, audacious, hairy goal? And they're like, we want to win a tournament. Yeah. Ooh, okay. And then another kid said, no, we want to win two. And then another kid said, no, we want to win three. And the coaches and I are looking at each other like, Ooh, okay, maybe that's big. <laughs> but it's been awesome because they wrote it down. They have little notebooks that they have all their stuff in. We call them their girlfriends. They have to take their girlfriend everywhere, their notebook. And so they wrote it down in their notebook in our first tournaments this weekend. And so they're like, this is going to be our first one. We're going to accomplish it. And it's been powerful seeing these little kids write down a goal mm -hmm. that was their goal. And it was bigger than the coaches could have ever dreamed for them. Yeah. And, that's, and I, that's I, I just to unpack that a little bit, they may fail on that goal, mm -hmm. but they won't have failed. Mm. They, they will have realized they set a goal and they will understand the feeling of having set a goal and not achieved it yet. Mm. Because surely there'll be a day if they put in the practice, the effort, the energy, there will be a day they do win. Mm. 
Yes. And it may not have been in their timing, but it'll be in the right timing. And they'll remember how hard they worked for it, how much energy and effort they put into it. And then all the different like miraculous moments where God showed up and worked on their behalf to help them achieve it. And it's a lesson in faith. It really is. Absolutely. Because we expect sometimes that when we have a goal like that, if we've got a dream that, okay, God gave us a dream, well, it's just going to magically happen Mm -hmm. in our minds. We think it's Mm -hmm. just going to, you know, if God gave it to me, the door's going to be wide open. It's going to be easy. And that's not always the case, which, which brings us back to, we have to work a plan to get there. And so in your book, you do such a great job in the, of um, giving some practical application and steps. And one of the guidelines you give for clarifying your fully funded life is don't let your bank account dictate your dreams to you. Do you mm. see people doing that, though, a lot? All day long. This, this, is, this is the standard thing for most people. Mm. Uh, if, if the statistics are still true, 70% of Americans live paycheck to paycheck. They have no extra money. The Federal Reserve released a stat at the end of 2019, right before the pandemic, that if faced with an unexpected expense of 400 bucks, 40% of Americans could not pay money for it. They would have to finance it. And that was before the pandemic. Yeah, I would expect it's higher. The pandemic affected the people who had no money, far worse than those who had some money. Um, And so here's what I know. When you have, I used to have an average bank balance of $4.13. And I was letting that dictate my plans, hopes, and dreams to me. Mm-hmm. And when you have $4.13, how big of dreams can you really have? Mm-hmm. Here's the dream you'll have. I'm trying to make it to Thursday. That's, that's your dream. Mm-hmm. And, and you will grow weary really quickly of saying, well, why, would, why should I even write down the dream? You become Eeyore. Mm-hmm. Why should I even write down this dream? It's just never going to happen anyhow. Yeah. Sure. I remember that other time I wrote down a dream and it didn't happen. And so the, this, this fact of letting your dreams drive your financial behavior instead of letting your bank drive your financial behavior is so powerful because if you have $4.13, you're never going to dream ever. Right. And you're never going to have, let, let's just be real clear. I, I mean, I don't know how it is in the Daniel and Bonnie uh, Hoover household, but budgeting isn't the most exciting activity for most people. Nope. In fact, most people when given the option between doing a budget and getting hit up by the head with a stick of lumber, ask if it's a two by four or a four by four, because they're seriously contemplating taking the hit. Sure. And so the reason people will stick to a budget, even when they don't enjoy it, is because they know this is the tool that helps them achieve their dream. That this is the thing that will get us to the dream. Not my bank account right now, but what good proper money behavior will do, even when it's not exciting, not stellar but it's and motivating so I really yeah yes it's, it's motivating mm-hmm. and and i say this to a lot of people i never forget the day jenny jen i call her jenny uh but jen j-e-n-n um somewhere she had an extra into it <laughs> but uh jen she said this uh she came in july of 2003 is june of 2003 and she had a july 2003 budget scribbled down i had no interest in a budget I had no interest. I wanted to watch my Chicago Cubs lose another baseball game. Our bank account is averaging $4.13. She's a saver. I'm a spender. I feel like I can out earn this. I'm just going to earn my way out of it. And she comes in with a budget. I'm trying to take a nap Sunday afternoon. She's like, Joseph, what do you think of this budget? And I said, I don't like it. And I burst into poetry. I said, my name is Joe. That budget makes me say no. And that interrupts my flow. So it's got to go. Leave me alone. (laughs) But she was cute. 
So I decided to look at it. And then it dawned on me that, that there was like fun stuff in the budget and dreams were getting funded in the budget. Mm. And then I realized it could be an Excel spreadsheet. <laughs> and my engineer's heart was so fired up. So we put together a budget and for whatever reason, that month we followed the budget. And, and I, I say it this way, in an ordinary day, when the Cubs were losing again, which is very ordinary, on an ordinary Sunday when I'm laying on a couch, a holy, life-altering, marriage-altering moment happened and we never even knew it. And in that moment, we stopped being financially broke. It, bank account wasn't different. The bank account was still the same. Mm. But all of a sudden, it's like it opened up this idea that we could dream together, that we could be united at another level, that we didn't have to fight over this money thing like everybody else does, that we could just put that behind us. And it just changed our life. And so that's why I encourage everybody, you know, if you're struggling, don't let your bank account dictate your dreams to you. And I say it's the inverse too. If you're in surplus, you got a million bucks in the bank, congrats. Don't let that freeze you up. You know, mm. continue to dream. Don't yeah. stop doing the things that helped you get there. I love how you talked about the two of you, that that was something you did together. And, and this is a marriage podcast. And in the book, you mentioned that one major contributing factor to financial stress in marriages is a non-participating spouse. But mm -hmm. she was engaged with you in that and, and drew you into that. So mm -hmm. talk a little bit about that with the non-participating spouse. The great question. I, I used to be the non-participating spouse. And so this is why I'm passionate about it. And I want to offer hope to anybody who has a non-participating spouse in their financial picture. And I will say the reason that it worked and what she got to bring me to the table is she didn't chide me. She didn't treat me like my mom. Mm -hmm. she, she asked really good questions that I did not want to hear, mm. such as, hey, if we keep managing money the way we are right now, are any of these dreams going to happen? Wow. And other very frustrating questions like, how are we going to pay for that mm. with your good looks? Like they're fresh out, you know, <laughs> things that our spouse does for you. And so what I found is that being a non-participating spouse really becomes a cumbersome burden. And there's really two types of them. One, I was one type. I was a non-participating spouse who actually paid the bills. Mm. I did that. So I would have full control of funding what I wanted. Mm. And, and the other type of non-participating non spouse is the one who, not only won't participate in financial conversations, but actually won't even sit down for a budget, won't even have a financial conversation. They just choose to blow up on their spouse. Mm. And so what I always tell people to do if they're in marriage and they've got a non-participating spouse is you need to put a date on the calendar, a date night. You need to make sure that your non-participating spouse gets a nap before you go so they're not exhausted. And you need to uh, make sure no kids are present. Kids and money at conversations are just a yes. horrible concoction. Yeah, that's good. And, and, and start with the dreams, ask them what their dreams are. Just look at them, ask them, write down dreams and start writing down dreams. And, and then start asking those critical questions. Hey, I'm concerned. If we keep managing money the way we are right now, I don't think any of this is going to happen. What do you think? Mm -hmm. And it won't be so fun, but, I, I was listening to this great psychologist who was saying one of the reasons why we don't have hard conversations is because when we start having the hard conversation as a spouse, we immediately have that horrible feeling, right? 
It's difficult. It's hard. I want to run away. And when we run away, we get endorphins that immediately say, ha, oh, I got relief. I'm not going to face that right now. Mm-hmm. But then the problem festers. And so it becomes even worse. And so they said the reason you have to navigate those initial rough feelings is because then you get to agreements and you get to new behaviors and new ways of understanding each other. And now you've solved the problem going forward. So the stressor is removed immediately. And now you have the greater release of endorphins that allow you to say, we, we, we focused on this very difficult issue and we're able to, to prosper really relationally out of it. And it's amazing what kind of en- endorphins and feelings come about when good communication happens mm. and when together, when you're able to solve those things I, back on the, the, the dreams thing, what happens when one spouse is more of a bulldozer and has big dreams and the other spouse doesn't have a whole lot of, you know, backbone and they're just kind of, it's what you said earlier. Maybe you're living someone else's dream. How can couples get on the same page there? I, I think this is, this is perhaps the most challenging issue for me as a teacher of personal finances and stewardship and how it relates to relationships because there really are, uh, you know, humans who seemingly have no dreams mm-hmm. or very limited dreams. And they, they, uh, they live, you know, just in the moment. They don't really like to put a lot of pressure on themselves and they actually tend to collapse or cower mm-hmm. under pressure. And what I found is for most of those people, it's not universal, but for most of them, they have very deep this is a term that I heard somebody use and I borrowed it and I'm using it. I'm claiming it as mine now. They have very deep money wounds. Something in their past is informing how they choose to just, you know, be the wet noodle in the conversation on anything related to money or dreams. How they just tend to just say whatever, you know, I don't understand. Why, why do you feel like we have to have all these goals? There's something in their history, their past, where they've seen money misused or dreams misused or abused or it robbed them of something Mm. for example they had a parent who was really pursuing huge dreams and they did it at the great sacrifice to their own family that it actually cost their parents their marriage Mm. and they just don't want that to happen and so they connect uh, their spouse saying i have these dreams don't you want to have dreams they connect it with you know what that equals failed marriage failed relationships and me feeling miserable as a young child my parents splitting up yeah. Or they see a parent who makes money, the whole object. And so they use it as status symbols and they, they grow up and they realize, man, this is not the way I want to live my life. So they run from it. Mm. So what I would encourage for that spouse who seemingly says they have no dreams to do that deep work of exploring, why do I feel that way? What causes me to just say, I'm whatever, I, I'm just going to live for the moment, laissez-faire, so to speak. And and just live day by day. And then try to work healthy systems in place as a marriage to be able to have conversations that say, I understand you feel that way from your past, but how can we do this in a healthy way moving forward? Surely we have dreams, you have dreams for our children. Mm-hmm. We can usually start with the kids yeah. and have a lot of agreement. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah, that's good. You give a lot of great practical questions for couples that are listening. And you're like, how do we broach this? How do, you know, in the, in the book, you give so many great practical questions. And I mean, there's, there's gotta be a hundred of them in there about um, how you can make a plan 
And um, so that is so good because I think the next thing in chapter in chapter six, you talk about connecting those dreams with money with because yeah. every every plan, every dream has a cost to it of some sort. And um, is this where people really have to make a plan to connect their vision to their money? Yes. I, I, I've got 23 specific questions in there and then a lot of sub questions. So I'm sure it's more than a hundred. Yeah. And you can't just read the book. I mean, you can read it quickly, but then I really recommend those questions, uh, getting away with your spouse, no children, a couple, three days and go through them. In fact, as we were preparing this book and writing this book, I stole away with Jen to Charleston, South Carolina for three days, uh, and just used a bunch of points I had and stayed at a hotel and we were able to get through about six questions a day. Mm. And, and, you know, because you can't, they're very deep questions. They're questions that make you think. And a lot of life is, you know, I don't have to think about it. You know, I know how to drive to work. I don't have to think about it. I go the same way every time. That, that helps us survive the day without a lot of stress. But thinking through deep questions like, where do you want to live in 20 years? Mm -hmm. What type of lifestyle? Hey, all of our kids are going to be out of the house. What's that going to be like? Mm -hmm. How do we make sure we still like each other, including loving each other? <laughs> and, and so those are challenging questions. And I will tell you, we had really good conversations and some of them were hard. But then inevitably, as we started writing them down and getting agreement on them and also having individual plans, hopes and dreams, which we all have, we had to ask, how do we connect them financially? Mm. And we started thinking through, hey, what decisions do we need to make over the next five to 10 years to make sure we're ready for that, that we can fund those things. And some of them are not cheap. No. Mm -mm. Well, and these are such hard questions. I have so many friends who just say, you know what? I don't even want to think about that. I, I just want to, they disengage from the whole financial process and leave it to their spouse. And they say, mm -hmm. okay, he can handle the finances or she can handle the finances. She's better at that. I'm just going to disengage. If they say, okay, you can't spend any more this month, I'm done. Is there a danger in that? How does that affect a marriage when you just, one or the other just completely is, I, I don't want to be part of that. Because I think, I, I, yeah, sometimes Amazon becomes that quick dopamine hit. Yeah. Yep. That, that it disengages us from that. Okay, I got my little dopamine hit on Amazon. I'll leave the dream into you. Yeah. yeah, that's right. And so it does, there is a danger in that. And there's a couple dangers. Some of them are seen, some are unseen. One of them is you make that person carry that whole burden. Mm -hmm. That's a heavy burden. So the bill payer carries a heavy burden. They see the bills, the cash flow at a much closer level than the person who's saying, you know, just tell me how much I can spend. Sure. And if that person who says, just tell me how much I can spend, and then they keep violating that, that's even worse. Mm -hmm. And that's called the non-participating spouse. Mm -hmm. And then on the investing side, I typically find that one becomes the bill payer, the other becomes like the investing side. They kind of split up the duties. That can be healthy. What I'm just saying is it's important for the couple to regularly and I'll put a timeline on it, at least every six months, have a focused conversation on, hey, how are you doing on bill paying? Hey, let me give you an update on where we're at with our investments. Mm -hmm. And when COVID-19 happened, in March 23rd, uh, 2020 happened, and the market had dropped 40%, lots of people were having conversations. Should we pull it out? Should we stay? How far down is it going to go? Those are important conversations to have. And then also, what do we need to do to cut back? What happens if our employer decides to cut back? There were a lot of important conversations that were forced to take place that probably haven't had been had in a long time. Right. And so I just really encourage couples, 
I'm not talking about when working together on money. I'm not talking about, hey, you come fill out the top part of the check and I'll sign them. Sure. What I'm really saying is you have unity on your dreams, Mm -hmm. both your individual dreams and your shared dreams. And then making sure you're making money decisions, wise money decisions that make sure that those dreams are being checked off in the time frame that seems right in your soul. Mm, That is good. So, okay. So we've talked about the non-participating spouse, but sometimes a spouse is non-participating because they're married to the bulldozing spouse who's really good with money, who's really tight with money and dictates, this is how much we can spend. This is what we've got to save this way. And and so the non-participating spouse just kind of acquiesces because they can't, Mm -hmm. I I can't stand up to that. What would you say there? That's extraordinarily challenging. Um, I would tell the person who is the bulldozer, I would ask this question. When is the last time you let your spouse talk when you talked about money? Um, when you talk to your spouse about money, do you tell them how they feel or do you let them tell you how they feel? Mm. So, you know, when they say, I feel like you're bulldozing me and you're like, no, I don't bulldoze you. You know, you get all defensive. Hey, listen, you're probably bulldozing. Yeah. And you need to not be a bulldozer because at the end of the day, uh, Genesis 2.24, you're pronounced as one. You will be so much better. You will be so much happier if the two of you agree on the money. And let me tell you, Spouses don't agree on everything. I mean, this is a new shocker here on the Marriage Adventure podcast. <laughs> right. <laughs> no, look, we have different dreams. You know, it turns out my wife loves scrapbooking. She loves it. She has a cricket. I don't know if you know what that is. It's an expensive thing that cuts out cool things <laughs> and, and has a monthly subscription to be able to access that stuff. She goes to weekend events at campgrounds called Crop Till You Drop. She loves it so much that one of my speaking engagements in Honolulu, she chose not to go because it interrupted with scrapbooking weekend. Is that crazy? <laughs> now, on vice versa, I love hunting. I love fishing. I love outdoors. I love driving my tractor. I, I would do that 365 days a year if I could. It's not a surprise to anyone here that she doesn't care about a nine-point buck. She does <laughs> not care. However, she knows that I care, and I know that she cares. So when we built our house, guess what got included? A scrapbooking room with a lock on it to keep our kids out of it from messing around (laughs) with that stuff. The best room in the house looks out over the whole farm. And then, you know what? I wanted to go on an elk hunt. I went on the elk hunt. I was unsuccessful. (laughs) Uh, But here's what I know. I got to fulfill a dream. She got to fulfill a dream. Mm -hmm. She wanted to have a pool. I mean, she wanted to pay money to dig a hole in the ground. (laughs) I thought that was a terrible idea. I mean, that stuff costs money. We're literally paying money to dig a hole in the ground. The guy shows up in a John Deere backhoe and turns out he's the five-time reigning national champion backhoe operator. Did you know that's a thing? No. It's unbelievable. He is. He dug that thing in like three hours. We put in the pool, and it turns out I've spent more time in the pool than she does. (laughs) Sometimes your spouse has an idea that you don't even know Mm. is good. Mm -hmm. And so I would just encourage the bulldozer don't be a bulldozer. You're going to find out your spouse is much more pleasant mm. and actually has phenomenal insight that will bring joy and color to your life that you're missing right now. Mm. That's so great. Yeah. That's so yeah. great. And I love what you said. Get away. That's, that's really how this podcast and this ministry started. Bonnie and I got away in the RV. We're sitting by the lake and we knew God had put a burden on our heart and we're just dreaming dreams. Yeah. And that's mm. how all this started. And that's how everything in our life usually starts is sitting Everything by water and dreaming. Dream. Yeah. Yes, the, yeah. The Empire State Building, 
you know, the Willis Tower, formerly known as the Seas Tower, all started because somebody had a vision. Mm -hmm. yeah. All great things. Everything, every building you saw built happened because somebody had a dream. And a conversation. Yeah. I love that. Yep. Well, and towards the end of the book, you, you mentioned it, talking about the dreams. And these dreams are great, but you say to hold your dreams loosely. Why, mm. why do you say that? I, I think it's important because sometimes dreams are end goals. Others are waypoints to get you to a different manner of thinking. And all of a sudden, you'll see a whole new world open up before you that you didn't even know existed. Mm -hmm. And you may abandon one dream. You may abandon more than one dream. And so I've had certain dreams that I abandoned. Like I wanted to play in the NBA. Didn't happen. <laughs> I didn't play for college, you know? So that all, I abandoned that dream. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I lacked certain abilities. It was not my gifting. And so, uh, you know, you have to say goodbye to those dreams. And that's a childhood dream, right? Everybody wants to be in the NBA, play mm -hmm. baseball, play major league baseball, whatever it is. But then there's other dreams that go away too, simply because uh, phase of life, time of life, stage, you know, and you have to, you have to hold them loosely. Mm. And so I'm not going to sit here and say, God, I sat, I sought you. I sat down with my bride. I wrote down all these dreams. I wrote down 25 of them. And over the course of the next 15 years, we achieved 20 of them. I'm mad at you that the other five didn't happen. Right. I'm going to sit there and say, it is better to have dreamed very large and get 80% of the way there than to have never dreamed of all. Because as you said, I heard it on the outset that the journey is the goal. Mm -hmm. It is what you learn, what you become. And I just said to myself, I've said it to Jen, She's agreed the same for her, that if all of this stuff we do, we don't like who we're becoming in the process, mm. we're ditching it immediately. Oh, we all have the so eject good. seat button. We're just going to eject. Mm -hmm. And I was climbing the corporate ladder. And you know what? I realized I'm going to get to the top of this corporate ladder. I'm going to be a corporate CEO. And I don't like who I'm becoming. It's mm. not me. It's not how I'm gifted. And I had no idea that that dream was actually the dream that helped me go seek leadership training, go get myself in other leadership positions, to go on staff at a church, to, to do all this stuff, to eventually run for-profit organizations where we serve churches, where we serve ministries, and I'm the CEO of it. Mm -hmm. Who knew that would happen? God knew that would happen. And I, I love Mark Batterson's book, Wild Goose Chase, because he said the Celtic word for Holy Spirit is the same as the Celtic word for wild goose. Hmm. And when he realized that it, it's, it, it is what was the genesis of that whole book, because he said, that's how it is sometimes following the leading of the Lord. Mm. It's like a wild goose chase. Yeah. But it really, when you look back on it, you can see the sovereign thread and hand of God through it all, mm -hmm. through your marriage, through all of your other relationships, through the business ventures, the financial decisions. It's powerful. Another thing I think is so powerful is that, that you, you said that you're sitting on the couch one day and your wife comes to you and says, we need to make a budget. There was nothing in you that was interested in doing that. But today that has turned into what you're doing is helping what other I people. Yeah. Working. And that she partnered with you in that in an amazing way because you heard her and listened to her and you partnered together. And that's, that's remarkable to me just to mm -hmm. see how God birthed that dream in you through your partnership. It's pretty cool. And I, I, I love your pointing that out because, you know, it's not fair. God gives brides cuts in line to the Holy Spirit. It's just yes, unbelievable. I'm serious. Yep. I, I can pitch something to my bride 
some business venture, you know, I'm always thinking. And she'll listen to it. She doesn't have any of the business knowledge, none of the analysis, nothing of it's in front of her. She'll go, hmm, that doesn't sound right. <laughs> and if I pursue it, it's just doomed. Mm-hmm. But if she says, I think you should, that, that sounds right. Mm-hmm. I'm telling you right now, even if it doesn't make sense, I'm going 100,000 miles an hour after it because mm-hmm. it's going to be blessed of the Lord and highly favored. Mm-hmm. It's just really is. I am so grateful uh, for the helpmate that God has sent my way. And I think every now and then she's grateful for me. Yeah, I'm sure she is. <laughs> and that's so good because it's that partnership of working together to accomplish those goals and the missions God's put on your heart. Mm-hmm. And so if you're listening today and you find that maybe you're in the apathetic seat and you just kind of give way, or maybe you find that you're in the bulldozer seat. I think one thing that we've kind of it's run through the podcast today is you guys got to work as a partner. You've got to find ways to mm-hmm. ask those questions to give your spouse a voice mm-hmm. in the situation. Yes. Um, because there's power in that, and God yeah. wants to work through the two of you. Well, and I think a great place to start is for every couple to read this book. Yeah. It's a great way to get on the same page, and every Christian couple especially needs to read this book. So, We're going to go through it, man. We've, I yeah. mean, we've got some dreams that we haven't mapped out a, a plan for yet. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so we're going through this, and we're going to get away, and we're going to ask some of these questions, yeah. that maybe uh, all 300 that are in here, and we're going to find some answers mm-hmm. to that. So, Joe, today before we close, how can people find your book and how can our listeners follow you? Yeah, that's great. I'm going to say one thing before I share that. Okay. Uh, one of the things that I share is, you know, God, people are play, praying for a chair and table and God gave them a tree. Mm. And the table and chair are in the tree. Wow. But it requires our work and our effort to get it out. Mm. And I think that's the beauty and what is allows us as couples to discover each other, the gifts, the talents, the abilities. And when you look back, you can say, God gave us the vision for it. He provided the provision. We did the work. And now we get to enjoy the fruits of our labor. And I think it's one of the greatest gifts God gives us. As for how people can find us, they can find us at I Was Broke, Now I'm Not. They can look it up on Google, on YouTube, lots of helpful videos and content there. And I would just say this, we have a membership that is called Fully Funded Life. It's an annual membership. And at fullyfunded.life, they can get access to courses. They can get access to quick challenges to become great at a specific money skill set like budgeting or saving or buying their first stock. They get access to coaching with me and other certified fully funded life coaches. And they get access to the community. And really, that's what it's all about is helping people in their money journey. So fullyfunded.life. That's great. Love it. Thank you so much for giving us your time today. And Thank being you. on the uh, being on the podcast, if you're listening today, run out, get this book, get his other books, have some conversations with your spouse. The biggest thing that changed our marriage was getting on the same page financially, mm-hmm. and that helped us get on the same page with our dreams. You guys have a great week. Thanks so much for being with us. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast, then head on over to Facebook and Instagram and give us a follow. Have a great week.